Hi, Tim. Hello, Susie. We're going to tag team teach this thing, huh? Yep, yep. <laughs> we don't do this very often, so. Let's get organized. Let's here. get organized, exactly. <laughs> uh, so. so, today we are kicking off a new series. We're calling it How to Church uh, for our 10 year birthday celebration. And what we'll be doing in the next few weeks is talking about, you know, how do you enter worship? How do you listen to a sermon? How do you come to the table? How do you receive the benediction and go out and be sent out into the week? So that's what we're talking about this week, because every single week when we gather in worship, you may not realize this, but we're attempting in this gathering to reenact the story of God. And the story of God is a story of creation and incarnation and recreation and Every single week as we gather, we are attempting to step into, to rehearse, to remember that story together. So each week at Platt Park, we kind of have a fourfold rhythm of worship. And uh, this fourfold rhythm is ancient tradition in Christian history. It's just to gather together um, as followers of God in the way of Jesus with the gathering time, the word, where we worship over the word, we explore the ancient scriptures together. The table, where we come and dine with God, share a meal with him each and every week. And then the benediction, where we remember we're not, um, we're not just simply blessed and restored for our own sake, but to go and work for justice and restoration in the wor world, that we're blessed and restored to go be a blessing, to work for restoration in the world. Um, so today we're going to start with the gathering, the call to worship, um, what we do when we first come in. How do we come into this space of worship together? And to do that, Tim and I are just going to talk a little bit about the early church in the book of Acts, and then we want to just ask each other some questions back and forth about the first 10 years here at Platte Park Church. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts 2. Um, this is the beginning of the church. Jesus has lived and died, he has risen, and he has ascended. And the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and people begin speaking in all these different languages. And people can understand and hear of the love of God because of all these different languages that are, are spoken on the day of Pentecost. And there's some confusion about what's happening. So Peter stands up, and he delivers a sermon of sorts, and this is what he says from Acts chapter 2. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. no. Your turn. <laughs> no. No. No, no, no. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. 
And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Amen. So Jesus began this thing, the church, 2,000 years ago. It was his idea. It is his legacy. Somehow, some way, um, the church is actually the way in which, one of the ways in which God has made himself visible on earth. He's made himself visible in the person of Jesus, in the broken bread and poured out wine, and in his body, the church. And so Peter, standing up and delivering this sermon, the whole entire sermon centers around the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right in the middle of that sermon is, you crucified him, but God raised him. That death could not keep him down. So every week when we gather, what we're doing is we're centering ourselves again on the story of God, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the center of our worship gathering. And so the question is, how do we enter worship? We come to worship to worship God. I mean, other things might happen. We might learn some things. We might be inspired. We might meet some friends. We might have some community. But when we come into worship, we come to worship God. And worship is to take our eyes off of all that is wrong in our lives, all that is wrong in the world, and to put our eyes, to put our attention, to turn ourselves to everything that is right with God and God's kingdom. And worship, of course, is not just song. It's not just an hour on Sunday. It's to result in a whole life of people who love mercy and do justice and walk humbly with God. But it begins by our coming and stepping into this eternal stream that God has begun, the dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we're invited to enter, to live in, and then to do justice from. And so we come together in worship to recenter ourselves, to remind ourselves that we live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. 
that kingdom is not in trouble. Neither are we. So we come together in worship, centering ourselves on Jesus. And so when we enter, how do you enter? How do you enter this time? I mean, just practically speaking, you can enter this time by, um, I know this is so predictable, but arriving early. (laughs) Part of that, though, is, right, you come into this space, and you come in, if you're anything like me, um, distracted and scattered from the week. You sit down, and part of you is present here, but probably part of you is thinking about that conversation you had with your kids, how you might have done it differently. Part of you is still ruminating about that Zoom phone call that you were on on Friday. Part of you is worried about, anxious about the presentation you have to do Monday. Right? So you're here, but you're also all these other places. We're a distracted and divided sort of people. So when we come into worship, we're turning our awareness to God and his presence, and we're also collecting all the fragmented parts of ourselves to be in God's presence, where we can be made whole, where we can return to a rootedness in Christ, where we can step back into that eternal stream that is always flowing. So we arrive with an anticipation. We want to worship together. We want to be reintegrated. We want to step back into that eternal current that's always flowing. We're the ones who step out. We're the ones who are absent. And so in worship, we come and we we return. We return. And so just practically speaking, we come in, we sit down, take a few deep breaths, remember who we are, whose we are, that we are ones in whom God dwells and delights. And then together we, we sing, we pray, we worship over the word, we come to the table, and we leave different. We leave changed because we've returned to this center, this place in God together. Uh, Tim, let's talk a little bit about some memories from the first 10 years. I have a question for you. We wrote some questions out. Um, Okay, my first question is, what motivates you? Good question. I tried to think about this and not be in the most cliche way, but it's very cliche. (laughs) What motivates me is the love of God. And... uh, just the motivation for myself to live in that reality and for others to enter into that as their reality. Mm-hmm. And the defining thing about their life is the love of God. Mm-hmm. And it can be kind of cliche because it can be seem so simple, but it also is the most complex thing that we work out in our lives here on earth. So, um, of course, at every baseball game you see John 3.16, right? It's a very good verse because it's stating this biggest truth ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And it's like the most profound thing that God is love and he wants to just be the the God who loves. And that is the thing um, that we have to undo a lot of distractions and a lot of stuff to to live in that space. And so I'm motivated by that a lot. And then... um, in Romans, Paul talks in Romans 8 about this love that God has for us. 
that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And then he said, There's, what can separate us from God's love? And essentially nothing. But we can think of a lot of things that separate us from God's love. But he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is the thing that God, his love is like the biggest thing. And for us to live in that reality and nowhere else. And so that is what motivates me. Because in this life we have a lot of hard things. There's a lot of things that try to distract us and separate us from the love of God. And those hard things aren't things that God is going to necessarily take away from us. But God comes alongside of us in the hard thing. And that is the beautiful thing mm. of God and his love for us. So that, that motivates me. It is motivating. I like how you, when you were saying that, you were like pointing. Because it is. It's like really? poetic. It's like neither death nor life nor... You were like getting your Tamara Siler on. Oh, yeah. Good, good, good. Wherever, Tamara. Thank you for doing my most favorite song. I can song, hear your laugh, good, but good I can't song. see you yeah. wherever you are. That's, that's true. Um, Susie. Yes. Susie Grade. Yes. What motivates you? Well, I was thinking, just like zooming up 30,000 feet in my life, I think what motivates me in all my work is creating environments where people can flourish. And so when we first started Platt Park Church 10 years ago, uh, church, you know, just church plants. So starting out, we did not, um, we were not, the church was not able to afford or fund full-time pastors. And so we you know, started some side hustles, as yeah. you do. <laughs> and our primary side hustles were, have been real estate, and then we started and then ended up selling a small business. Sipping and painting. Yes. <laughs> Still lives on. Uh, but in all of those, uh, in all of that work, I think this uh, motivation for me of creating environments where people can flourish has been a common thread. And so when we were, you know, buying rental properties, living in one, fixing them up, and then renting it to someone, it was, like, motivating to create a space where someone could flourish. And then when we started sipping and painting, not just the people coming to those classes, but um, probably even more so the staff who worked at that little business, um, it was motivating to me to create an environment where people could flourish. And uh, then when I think about, well, and back to real estate, when Tim and I were in seminary, we rented a little house in Inglewood from his great aunt and uncle, Rad and June. And we got a lot of time with them because they were still fixing up the basement of this little house while we were living there. So we were like on the daily with them and uh, having lunch all the time and stuff. And so they became very dear our first two years of marriage and seminary. And um, you guys, at Rad's funeral, no joke. Former tenants stood up and said, he was like so much more than a landlord in my life. And it just made this huge impression on me that like, you know, here he's just renting out these, you know, he just has rentals, but the people he rented to um, felt care and love. It just, it gave me this vision and this picture of 
the important work of building God's kingdom even in something like this. And uh, so that is a motivation for sure. And then when I think specifically about what we are doing here at Platt Park Church, again, I think it is, you know, creating environments where people can find and follow Jesus, where people can flourish. And whether that's a small group or a serving team or a worship service, it is in the hope and the prayer that people will find and follow Jesus because I really believe that as we do that together, we enter into full human flourishing. And so then personally, there's also alongside in all of this, this motivation for me of just um, continuing to like spiral deeper into the love and goodness of life in Christ. So this desire to keep growing in intimacy with Jesus. I, I just have this like dream or vision or motivation of like, I want to be um, burning so bright in my relationship with Christ that others would sort of, you know, be warmed or catch on fire with the love of God in and around me. And um, so there's that motivation of just not like, oh yeah, did that once, kind of riding on the path, but just to keep spiraling deeper and deeper into God. Okay. Oh, I want to say a rad story. So rad, I got to do his funeral, yeah. and it was around Easter time, and I, while I was talking, you know those birds that drum on your house, and I have Wood other packet. stories about those kinds of birds, those funny Denver birds. <laughs> so it started drumming on the church while I was talking, and I mentioned that because rad disliked those birds drumming. And so it was like rad. Just in that moment, we just celebrated a unique thing. <laughs> it was so fun. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Totally. All right, Tim, here switching gears a little Ooh. bit. Uh, what has been hard? Ah, yes. What's been hard? Um, so lots, yeah, lots of things probably hard. But one thing I was thinking about for this answer was, you know, I love standing outside. And I love the greeting of people. And um, actually, I was reflecting on this. I think in college, I started as a greeter volunteer at the church I was at. And so I just have enjoyed being outside, greeting people all these years. And uh, it is a special thing just to build little tidbits of connection over time to become known and knowing others and um, just that information sharing. But it also can be a really hard space. Um, and it also can be a wonderful space. Like those little tidbits of sharing, it's like a container where people know I'm going to be there so they can come and tell me something, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I get good news, like, I got a job, or hey, we're pregnant, or hey, we're getting married, you know, like all these good things that you get outside, which is really great and celebratory, um, and probably talking too loud, so that I get <laughs> talked about for that. Um, <laughs> but, um, but then the hard is, and this is, this, the hard is when people in that container have hard information to share. And uh, so, you know, and those are, I actually have a, just a list of memories with people out there sharing something that's been hard. And um, boy, those just, I carry those mm -hmm. in me. And, um, and maybe even something in a different kind of hard is shifting gears from, oh, mm -hmm. you know, when they walk up and say, will you pray? And then talk about that. And then turning around, and it's like, hey, welcome, and it's a shift of gears. And that, that can be really hard, but that is right there. I think the messy nest in my mind is right out there where people are flying in to the nest and landing. We talked about this on Friday, just celebrating the nest that's been created here. People fly in and land in the nest, 
wherever they're at. So if um, it's something hard, that's the place they're at. And I, have, I meet them and greet them right there. And if they're joyful, that's the place. And also in people's spiritual progress and life and growth, I'm meeting them right there. You know, it might not be where I'm at in my spiritual process and growth, but I'm going to meet you right there. And Jesus is working and moving you, and you're following him. So mm-hmm. um, the messy nest is represented right out there. Mm-hmm. And the messy nest is hard. I think it would be nice if we cleaned it up. <laughs> but <clears throat> as many of you know, I'm not a very tidy person, so I think that's why it's messy. It's because I'm just messy. When, we, when Tim and I were dating, um, we had to start this thing where, like, um, can you raise your hand when oh. you're joking? So raise your hand when you say tidy it up right now. <laughs> Next 10 is going to be slick and shiny around here. <laughs> no more messiness, no. We're going to hire professional artists. <laughs> oh, you want a question? Sure. Is that how it goes? Lay it on. All right, Susie, what's your favorite memory? From the first 10. Ross and Lenita's wedding. Summer 2018. It was very, they, they gave me, they framed this picture for me after their wedding. Um, and it is my favorite men- memory from the first 10 because Lenita's been a part of the church since the beginning and served in countless ways and been an elder. So I was very connected to her story. And it was such a day of celebration. I just kept saying to them, there is nothing standing in the way of my joy for you today. And that is a great memory. Uh, Tim, Mm. what sermon series do you want to see us do that we haven't done yet? Oh, yes. Um, I think this time of the year, and actually Gary Ehrenholt had this idea that we do Haunted, you know, for (laughs) October series. (laughs) which doesn't really work exactly well for church, but I really love the idea of it. And here, and even we just read that scripture passage about the Holy Spirit, and so really it would be about the Holy Spirit. And just the mystery of the Holy Spirit, and thinking about that early church where, you know, seeming tongues of fire came down at Pentecost, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they could speak other languages to people and understand people that they didn't know the language. And just the mystery and beauty of that, um, is really intriguing about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives and still today. And uh, so we're probably not going to do that series on haunted <laughs> Holy Spirit, but, but isn't it fascinating to think about that? And I also think about, um, and really in, what probably most intrigued is just a personal thing of when the Holy Spirit nudges you, you know, mm. puts someone mm. on your mind totally. to think about. And, um, and I try to probably fail a lot at this, but Try to then, you know, reach out, text, or call that person. Um, and maybe sometimes it means nothing to them, but sometimes it does mean something. Mm-hmm. And just that the Holy Spirit is nudging and putting people on my mind, and I kind of hold them in prayer, and that is a, a beautiful thing of community. Again, of the nest, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're just in this together, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's people here. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's people from the past that are, you know, flew, flew, flew the coop. <laughs> And are, you know, elsewhere, but mm-hmm. um, just the, how the Holy Spirit nudges mm-hmm. and the mystery and uniqueness of that. Mm, so good. Hmm. Yeah. How about you? What uh, your favorite all-time sermon series? My favorite all-time sermon series that we've done. We've actually done like three times now. Uh, the Prodigal God, story of the prodigal son. Uh, all the way back at South High School when we, like 10 years ago, uh, author and pastor Tim Keller had come out with that 
kind of famous book called The Prodigal God. And we read that, and we did a sermon series kind of around the ideas in that book. And then we have done two more series focused on the story Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son. And I think the reason why I love that, and it's been so formative for us as a faith community, is because, number one, in that story, you see the heart of the Father, you see the heart of God. And the heart of God is that God runs to the wayward one, the prodigal, who left home and was overtly rebellious, but the heart of the father also leaves the party to go and pursue the elder brother in the story, the one who stayed home and went to church and did everything right and was the good kid. And so the heart of the father is coming after these two different ways in which we can be lost. You know, we can be lost by overt rebellion, and we can be lost by doing all the right things in a self-righteous and in a um, self-sustaining way. And so I just feel that that uh, parable shaped us in the early days, has continued to shape us, and it's, it's definitely impacted my own view of myself, others, and what we're doing here together um, in recognizing that we all have both of those within us, um, and, and we also have the capacity to love like the heart of the Father. And so I think that series, in fact, one time Charlie and I were talking, like, that is just a good series to do some version of, like, every three years because it's been such an ethos-shaping series in our church. My memory of that is that at the <laughs> end, like the last week, we did a proud participation activity. People would come up and say something that, that moved them. And so Susie and I decided, this was over at South High School, we'd take sides, and if somebody came up and talked too long, then you, you have to go on your side and like take the mic away. And... Um, <laughs> And Somebody was talking too long on Susie's side. Like, she was not doing her job. And she was not taking the mic away. Tim's and I had at to get up. Like... I mean, I sent telepathy, but she didn't get it. And then I had to walk over there, put my arm around, take the mic away. That's one of my favorite memories. So I'm watching it the time true. clock. I can hardly see the it clock. Is but true. It's, so we're getting close. We got to wrap it up. Should we wrap it up? Do you the... have. That was a very funny memory, though, because I think I was still, um, I was still coming to an awareness and a repentance of my Midwestern nicey-nice, yeah. right? Like, just take the mic away. Just take it away. Can I ask you, I what has changed it. in the last 10 years? Oh, what has changed? Okay. Um, besides the color of my hair, uh, <laughs> the space has changed. And also, one of the things I've noticed is we have become more multi-generational. Um, in the beginning, it was not exclusively people in our same age bracket, but it was like the majority. And now there's like no age bracket that is really missing, you know. So it's just become a what God's done among us has been a multi-generational um, faith community that's grown here. And so... Uh, it would not be here with all, without all of you. It's because of your presence. It's because of your partnership um, that Platte Park Church exists and exists for 10 years. So thanks be to God. And uh, let's... No cards. Oh, yes. We thought it would be fun during this whole month if you want to ask a question 
to just write one down, stick it in the black offering boxes, and then not for the whole sermon, but for a portion of each Sunday during the month of October, we'll answer different questions that you may have about the first 10 like or about anything. What color was your hair before? Lighter brown. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, these cards are here on the communion table. Write a question. Um, We'd love to know what you're curious about. Let's pray together as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you are good. Thank you that we live in you. Even when we lose sight, when we become unaware, thank you for the constant presence you offer that invites us back into life in Christ. Thank you for the eternal current of your love and the way in which um, you keep welcoming us back to fall again and again and again into your goodness. Thank you for what you've done among us here at Platt Park, what you're doing in us even now, what you will do in the future. We give you all the thanks. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen.